Amen. Well, hey, hey, today is a great conclusion and a great beginning. Uh, for the past, this will be the ninth Sunday that we've been discussing living like Jesus. Everybody say living like Jesus. We've been talking about all kinds of things and how we ought to live. Hey, if you're a believer, if, you, if Jesus lives on the inside of you, the goal ought to be and is for us to become more and more like Christ. You can't live like the devil and be a believer. Are you with me? Say amen. So that's what we've been talking about. We've talked about thinking like Jesus, praying like Jesus, serving like Jesus, and even dying like Jesus, dying to ourselves. And with, a, with the thought in mind that we are to become, when you say you are a Christian, the very definition of that requires us to be more and more Christ-like. So that's what we're doing today. And today is a great crescendo to this series, Living Like Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about, of course, the resurrection. How many of you know he's alive forevermore? Amen. And we'll talk about that. I was, this morning, I was, uh, Googling around some of my old hymns and, and, uh, I remember a hymn that I love. I still love. It's called He Lives. It was written by a man by the name of Alfred Ackley in 1933. He was a pastor. And he was a psalmist and a hymn writer. Uh, and uh, he, he loved the Lord with all his heart. He believed in, the, of course, the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he had a friend who was a Jew who was not a believing Jew. And he would harass him all the time. Especially at Easter, he would say things like, how come you're worshiping a dead Jew? And it would irritate uh, Mr. Ackley, Pastor Ackley, and it would get under his skin and he, he would get frustrated. And one particular Easter Sunday morning before he, he had he'd spent a little time trying to witness to his, to his Jewish friend to no avail. And so that laid heavy on his heart. Uh, and then that Sunday morning before church, he turned on the radio. You know, that's all there probably was in 1933. And he heard some liberal preacher, but he said on Easter Sunday, said something along, it really doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead and, and began to talk about the vague, vagueness of the gospel. And it irritated uh, the reverend so much, he grabbed his radio and threw it across the living room. He was so angry. And so he went to church a little off key and he preached his best message and he was passionate about the gospel, but he came home still frustrated because of his friend who said, how come you want to worship a dead Jew and thinking about the radio there busted in the corner? And his wife said, Ackley, do something. Well, his last name was Ackley. It was Alfred. Alfred, do something that you know you do. Go into your room and write a song. And out of that experience came He Lives. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. And everybody said amen. And I love, you know, if you have ever heard it saying, it has a great crescendo. And I think today's message is a great crescendo. I wish we had a, a hundred voice choir because it would go, He lives within my heart. Do you know I'm a closet choir director at heart? 
And today, I believe, is a great crescendo to this series that we've been discussing about the life of Christ and learning to live like him. Turn to Matthew 28. We'll be, we'll be all over Matthew 26, 27, and 28 uh, today. Uh, but uh, look in Matthew 28, uh, verse 1 through 6. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. You get the picture? And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him. Just pause. The guards were there to keep the, 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 the disciples from coming and stealing away the body so they could, they didn't want them to be able to do that and then say he rose from the dead because the religious leaders of the day knew what the, Jesus had promised that he would rise from the dead and they put guards there to keep it from happening. And we know by this account, it didn't work. Tell somebody that didn't, that didn't work. It just didn't work. Sometimes no hard, no matter how hard people try to resist the plan of God unfolding, <clears throat> it just doesn't work. And in this case, it didn't work. And so the angel and the guard shook for fear of him and, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Everyone say, He is not here. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. Therefore, you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and met and and beheld him and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and they will see me there. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. May the resurrection of Christ come alive in our hearts today. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, over the past few weeks, as we've been talking about learning to live like Jesus, we've learned some things about him. We've learned number one, that he lived his life on earth <clears throat> with intentionality. It was intentional. There was a plan to unfold. And this, my friend, was the plan of God. The death, burial, and the resurrection was God's plan. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus said this. He said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That was his intention all along. That was the plan of God. We learned uh, that he also, and let me say this about that. When you take all four gospels and you put them in a blender and you blend them all up and make it as one story, understand this, one third of the gospels deal with the last week of the life of Christ. In other words, this was God's unfolding plan. Everything that happened up to this point was just preparation time, even from creation to the cross. It was all God's plan unfolding for this very specific moment in the history of humanity prophesied by the prophets of old and now unfolding before uh, the the children of God and the, the believers in Jesus Christ that he came with intention 
to die on a cross. In fact, it says in scripture in Matthew 26, verse two, that he told them, I'm about to be crucified. He knew what the plan was. Number two, Jesus lived compassionately while he lived on earth. He was compassionate. Man, just Google this. Put this in your Bible uh, search and just just Google compassion in the Gospels or whatever. And, And even in Matthew, five or six times, it says this about Jesus. Listen carefully. He was moved with compassion. He would see people and he, he, he saw them. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved. It moved him. He had a compassion. Aren't you thankful that he had compassion on you? That he cared enough for you. That God so loved the world that he cared for you. That he sent his son Jesus who was, he lived his life compassionate. How are you living your life? What moves you? What motivates you in life? Jesus lived intentionally he lived compassionately and he lived obediently to the purpose of God we learned this last week in Philippians 2 I think it's verse 8 it says this that he obeyed he loved God and he obeyed he became obedient to the point of death even the death on the cross he was obedient we learn he lived also of course sacrificially that's what the cross is all about He sacrificed his life. In fact, John chapter 1, when Jesus first comes on the scene in his full-time ministry moment, he was there at the river and John was baptizing. Remember, John didn't want to baptize Jesus, but Jesus came to be baptized. And when John saw him, he said this, Behold the, what? the? Come on, behold the, come on, behold the what? The Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. For a Jew, that meant exactly what it meant. Because they were accustomed to the understanding that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. And, and, and John looked at him and said, here comes the one who's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And as I read in Hebrews earlier, he was the final sacrifice. He was the finished. That's why he said at the cross, it is what? Finished. No more need for the blood of bulls and goats and birds and fowl and whatever because he paid the ultimate price. He lived a life of intentionality, of compassion, of obedience and sacrifice. He he drank the cup that Jesus had him to drink. You know, last Sunday we took communion. If you were here, if you remember, in fact, Jesus instituted communion in the Gospels in Matthew 26. Uh, I won't read it, but uh, he took the cup. He took the bread. He took the cup. And he said, this is the cup. This is the, this is my flesh. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, and so they were, these disciples are trying to comprehend what's he saying here. He had just told them that he was going to be crucified. He was drawing a picture, if you will. How I many of you know a picture's worth a thousand words? And that's what the Bible teaches us about communion. When we take the bread and we drink the cup, he said, you do this in remembrance of me, remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross. Somebody say amen. For the price he paid. And so he drank the cup. And then right after that Lord's table, if you will, where he instituted this thing we call the Lord's table and the the Lord's uh, communion, Uh, he went right from there to the place of betrayal, to the place of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he wept and he prayed. And he said this three times, Lord, if it's possible, let this 
cup pass from me. Three times he said it, and even his closest disciples and confidants there, uh, they, they just were so tired. How many of you sometimes you just get tired? Even in church, you get tired, and the disciples were tired. And while Jesus was in great agony and sweat as it was, great drops of what? Blood. Let me tell you something. The payment for our sin began long before they began to beat him. It began hours before when he began to travail to the point of the sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And he prayed three times, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he would say, nevertheless, everybody say, nevertheless. You see, sometimes when you're looking at life and you know God has a plan and a way for you and you think, I don't know if I can do this, there's always a way to get to the will of God. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How many of you appreciate today that Jesus drank the cup even though in his heart of hearts as a man he knew this was going to be a painful experience he knew it was his destiny he knew it was the intention of God for him to be the sacrificial lamb what was in the cup think about it what was in the cup that Jesus drank well it was a cup filled with a relentless conspiracy. You see, the religious leaders of the day had conspired together. They'd been conspiring together for days, weeks, even months, potentially years. But if you, if you look back in Matthew 26, you'll see this conspiracy. How many of you uh, uh, don't like people talking about you and planning your demise? Jesus drank that cup. It says in Matthew 26, one through four. It says this about the religious. It says this, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. He said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then the chief priests, now catch this, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest and who was called Caiaphas. And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so they began to conspire. If you go over to verse 59 of that same chapter, you'll see this, what it says about this conspiracy. It says, now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none, even though many false witnesses came forward. They found none, but at last two false witnesses came forward. There was a conspiracy against the faultless one. There were false accusations against the false, fault, the faultless one, and Jesus drank that cup. He submitted himself to the relentless conspiracy. And then as it began to build what he, what was in the cup, not only a relentless conspiracy against him, but a reviling crowd. They stirred up the crowd against him. If you look in that same chapter, verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes saying he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They are answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and 
beat and beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one who struck you? It was a reviling crowd. And as he drew closer to that moment of his crucifixion, chapter 27, verse 39, it says, and those who passed by blasphemed him at his crucifixion, wagging their heads and saying, you, you who destroyed the temple, build it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocked him with the scribes and the elders and said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from this cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. The cup Jesus drank on those last hours of his life on planet earth was a relentless conspiracy against him, a reviling crowd who spat on him and beat him and cursed him. And as we know in Matthew 27, it also involved a ruthless crown. For the soldiers, it says about them in verse 27 of chapter 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Beverly and I have been there. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they mocked him and took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. He drank that cup. The ruthless crown, the reviling crowd and a a relentless conspiracy against him. He willingly, because he knew the will of God, drank that that, that cup and experienced that agony. Not only was a ruthless crown in the cup, but a rugged cross. And as we've sung in times gone by on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. They crucified him on the cross. And if you know anything about crucifixion, in that day it was one of the worst ways to die. They wanted you to pay. It was torturous. It was agonizing. It took hours and hours. He drank that cup. Matthew 27, verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. We had come to a place called Golgotha. Beverly and I have been there. That is to say, the place of the skull. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him. 
They put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. He drank the cup of the old rugged cross. He drank the cup of a, of a ruthless crown of thorns on his head. He drank the cup of a reviling crowd that said, crucify him. He drank the cup of a relentless conspiracy against him. And finally, before he gave up his spirit, he drank the cup of a rejected cry. For we know in that hour, about the ninth hour, chapter 27, verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He drank the cup of rejection where his own father had to turn away. Why? Because Jesus had taken upon himself the sins of all humanity. He drank the cup. Aren't you glad he drank the cup? We should be grateful that he drank the cup. He had a choice not to drink the cup, but he chose to drink the cup. Now, because he drank the cup, history and humanity has been forever altered and transformed. Because he drank the cup... Something happened, and I'm, I'm, man, this it starts getting good. Everybody, tell tell somebody that no, the story's getting good now. It's because he was willing to drink the cup, and because he died on a, on Calvary's cross, there was, in our behalf, a ripped curtain. Somebody say a ripped curtain. Now let me explain this. Let me show it to you. Matthew twenty-seven, verse fifty-one. Are you there? If you're there, say I'm there, Pastor. <clears throat> verse fifty says Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. <coughs> and yielded up his spirit. Let me just stop and say, did you know the soldiers didn't kill Jesus? Did you know the nails didn't kill Jesus? Did you know the whipped back didn't kill Jesus? The loss of blood didn't kill Jesus? Nobody could kill Jesus. Jesus yielded up his spirit. Nobody took it. He laid it down. If you're with me, say amen. And he yielded up his spirit and he cried with a loud voice. And we know from other gospels, he said, it is finished. And look what it says. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Catch this, by the way. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. But it says the curtain in the temple ripped. Now, if you, we had time, we could describe this curtain which separated humanity from the ark of the covenant or the manifest presence of God on earth. And you, we know from the Old Testament that only the priest 
who had been properly prepared could go in to the, to the holiest of holies and give offering for the sins of the people that year. Are you with me? If you kind of remember that, say, I remember that. And so they, tr- in fact, the priest, I wouldn't want to have been a priest in the Old Testament. They put bells on their clothes and it wasn't just so they would sound good. They, they would tie a rope around their ankle when they slipped behind the, the curtain because if the priest wasn't right with God and he got in the presence, down he would go dead in a hammer and the bells would stop uh, uh, ringing and they'd think, well, the bells stopped ringing and we heard a thud. They would pull him out by the rope. No kidding. When Jesus died, ripped from top to bottom. What does that mean? It means no longer is man have the trouble of being hopelessly separated from God. And we know in Hebrews that now because of the blood of Jesus, it says says this, uh, uh, Hebrews 10, 19, we can come with boldness into the holiest. Why? Because and by the blood of Jesus, we have, pardon me, access to the presence of God. That's what the plan was all about. Tell somebody, that's what it was all about. Uh, I think Jim did. Turn around and tell somebody, that's what what the plan was all about. Tell somebody, it was all about. So God can come back into right relationship with man. You see, the cross was the bridge for man to get back to God. What happened to Adam? The first man, Adam, sin entered and man was separated from God. We were hopeless and without Christ, the Bible says. But the cross paid the price. And because of the cross, the ripped curtain, the Bible now, and I can't imagine what the priest there that day thought. Man, it was dark outside and when Jesus said it is finished, the curtain ripped. I'm sure the priests that were outside went, ah, because they thought they were about to die. Thank God for the cross. Because he drank the cup, there was a ripped curtain. And just for a little side note, uh, because of he drank the cup, number two, there was a rich man's concern we see in Matthew 27. And I love this. I wish I could talk to this guy. Uh, his name was Joseph of Arimathea. And when evening had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Let me tell you something. In your darkest hour, it doesn't hurt to have a friend who's a rich man. They took the body. He begged for the body of Jesus. And catch this, Joseph took it of Arimathea. Pilate gave it to him. And it says in verse 59, when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a large stone against it and the door of the tomb and departed. little side note, another gospel says, you remember Nicodemus, Nicodemus, in, in John 3, Nicodemus also helped prepare the body of Jesus. And so because of the, he drank the cup, there was a ripped curtain and a rich man's concern that set Jesus up for exactly what he was supposed to do, and that's rise from the dead. And that's the third thought. Because he drank the cup, there is a resurrected Christ. 
Now after the Sabbath, verse 1 of 28, the first day of the week, once again, the week began to dawn and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him. They came like dead men, but the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. You see, the reason the tomb is empty, once again, is so you and I, the emptiness of our life, can be filled with him. He rose from the dead, just as he said. Paul the apostle said this in 1 Corinthians 15 in referencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's what it's all about, the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, moreover, brethren, I declare to you, verse 1, the gospel. Somebody say good news. This is all good news. Uh, The gospel which I preach to you which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. He rose from the dead. He, and if you keep risen, keep reading, it says, and Christ is risen from the dead. Because he was willing to drink the cup. You see, sin was our cup. We had all drank the Kool-Aid of sin, if you will, because we were born in sin. Jesus took that cup and he drank it so you and I could be free from the effects of drinking the cup. And today, everybody say today, we celebrate the fact that not only that Jesus lived intentionally and that he lived compassionately and that he lived obediently and even lived sacrificially, we celebrate all that. But today we celebrate the fact that Jesus not only lived back then, but he lives today victoriously. Somebody say amen. He conquered the grave. He conquered death hell and the grave. And the scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? Alfred Ackley said, he lives within my heart. 
today. Because he lives, we have the opportunity to not only live like him, but for him to live through us. For our emptiness of life, our separation from God, the chasm of darkness that sin has brought us in. We have the capacity because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to not only live for him and live like him, for him to live his life through us. Paul said this, we taught, this was our keynote verse for nine weeks. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in this fleshly body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Today, if you would like that life, if you would like to learn to live like Jesus and experience the new life that only Christ can give. You see, he's the only one that can breathe life into us. He's the life giver. In fact, John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have what? Life. He came so we could be lifed. See, Scripture teaches that we're, though we're biologically alive, we're spiritually dead and separated. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He told Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and said, you, if you'd have been here earlier, you could have healed Lazarus. Now he's in the tomb. He said this. This is my terminology. You don't know who you talk to, girls. Who do you think you're talking to? I am the resurrection and the life. So, well, we know. And he said, no, 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 let me tell you. If you believe, even though you're dead, you'll live. I am the resurrection. There's only true life through Christ. If you'd like to experience that life and learn to live the life that he has for us to live, becoming more like him, let me give you three words. Number one, you have to believe. You can live too, but you got to believe. What does John 3.16 say? And we could all quote it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why we're here today. That whosoever believeth on him, that not just a mental belief system, but a trust in, rely upon, and cling to kind of faith. Those who believe on him should not what? Perish, but have what? Everlasting. Somebody say it. Why? If you got to believe. If you were to read the end of John, the disciples had began to experience the resurrected Christ. He would walk through doors and the, he met them, but Thomas wasn't there. And as a result, he got labeled as, come on, he got labeled as doubting Thomas. And Jesus walked through the door with doubting Thomas. Because he said, I'm not going to believe until I can put my hands in his hand, feel the scars and the, and the wound in his side. And that no more rolled off his lips till Jesus walked not through the door uh, as far as open. He just walked through the door. You get the picture. With the door not open. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. 
He believed. Then Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen me yet believe. You see, faith, which is a gift of God, is the key requirement. You can't stir up faith in your own. It's a gift. The Bible says uh, the faith for it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. It's a gift. We, uh, God gives us the gift of faith so we can choose to trust him. You got to believe. Paul came along in Romans 10, 9 and 10 and said, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, what would happen? We would be what? Saved. Tell somebody you got to believe. You really do. If you want this life that Christ has, the, the, the life that is alive forevermore, the kind that, hey, that you'll never perish, you've got to trust in, rely upon, and cling to the reality of this celebration today that Jesus died for us and was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again, like Paul said, on the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel. You've got to believe the good news. Number two, you and I have to bow the knee. You see, Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, in other words, we bow and submit ourselves to the Lordship, the governance and the guidance of God because understand something, before we give our lives to Christ, Romans 6 says we're slaves to sin. And after we give our lives to Christ, we become slaves of God. It's called Lordship. It's called yielding to the governance of God in our life. It's called saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done in my life. So if you want this life, you and I, we must believe, we must bow. And if we believe and bow, guess what? We then will belong. That's what it takes to belong to Christ. For see, he paid for us. 1 Peter 1 says, you were not redeemed with money, but you were redeemed, you were paid for, you were bought. With the precious blood of Jesus. And if you believe and you bow, then you belong to him. And you, just as the scripture says, and I will live eternally forever. He drank the cup for you and me. Because he drank the cup, we don't have to drink the cup of eternal separation from God. When we drink the cup, it's the reminder. If we, when we take the Lord's table, it's a reminder that he drank it for us. How about you today? Do you believe with your heart? God raised Jesus from the dead. That's where it begins. Are you willing to bow in your heart to him and say, I give you my life. I know you died for me and you paid for me with your sin, with your blood. Paid for my sin with your blood. I trust you. I bow my heart, my life to your lordship.
give yourself to him. If you do that, you'll belong. Let's stand together, bow our heads. He drank the cup for you and I. Father, thank you today. That as we come to the conclusion of this wonderful day here at Church on the Rock North, it's also the opportunity of a new beginning, a new life for each and every one of us. As we embrace all over again the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, in dealing with his disciples, they were confused about a lot of these things. They couldn't get wrapped their head around it when he would say, I'm going to die. John 14, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, you believe also in me. And then in verse 19, he said, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. <clears throat> but you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, what a glorious opportunity for you and me to make a fresh commitment to Christ and a fresh confession of faith in the power of the cross, in the power of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of God to Raise him from the dead with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor, I just got to be honest on this uh, Easter Sunday, on this resurrection day. I'm just not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I've ever really confessed him as the Lord of my life. I, not only, I don't know if I've ever really confessed my faith in him. If that's you today and you can say, Pastor, I want him. I want to experience that washing of the blood of Jesus over my sinful life. And I just got to be honest with God and myself. I don't know if I've ever really given my life to Christ. Today in these next couple of moments, you can have the opportunity to believe and to bow and to belong. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. You got me today. I want him in my heart and life. I want to confess my faith in him, what he's done for me. I want to believe, put my faith in the finished work of the cross. I want to confess him and bow my heart to him, I want to belong to the family of faith. If that's you, wherever you are, with no hesitation right now, lift your hand wherever you are and just hold it up just for a moment. You can say, Pastor, that's me today. I want to confess him as the Lord and leader of my life. I want to give my life to him. I want to trust him today. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are. Amen. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've done that, but I, I really have not have followed through with the Lordship. 
uh, I, I'm really not allowed him to be the Lord and the leader of my life. And on Easter Sunday today, I want to confess him as the Lord of my life and allow him the opportunity to be in charge of my life. I want to say, like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. If that's you, wherever you are, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. Father, thank you for those who have lifted their hands. Thank you for those who have listened today so intently. Thank you for those who have watched by way of Facebook Live or who will watch later. We thank you today that you are the Lord. And we confess today, I want everyone in this room listening to me by Facebook today, just say, Lord, I confess that you are the Lord and the leader of my life. I believe you died for me. And you were buried in a borrowed tomb. And you rose again so I could have a new life too. I invite you into my heart to cleanse me, to heal me, and wash me so I'll be white as snow. Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Jesus name everyone said amen that's why it's called good news if you prayed that prayer today for the first time welcome to the family of faith if you prayed a prayer of recommitment may God guide you and lead you and let me tell you a big part of belonging is plugging in and being a part of the family of faith you see when Jesus died and then rose again he spent some time with his disciples with the with the beginnings of the church and he and he put in a plan for them to come together by say come together let me just say this today for each and every one of us. We belong not only to God, but we ought to belong in his family. Paul said this, you belong in God's family with every other Christian. And so I want to encourage you today, if you don't have a church home, I want to encourage you to seriously, with no, I, I don't have any strings of manipulation. I'm not the puppeteer here today to try to get you to do something you don't want to do. But let me just say, yeah, I once was young and now I'm old. Listen, you can't really serve him effectively without plugging into his family and becoming a part of the family of faith. So I want to encourage you to pray about that and plug into the family of faith. And if you're from this area, come back next Sunday. Let me tell you, I'm praying about the days before us. I believe God has a word for us in the days ahead. We're going to hear the voice of God. We're going to follow after him. We're not going to just live like him. We're going to let him live through us and make a difference in the world. I'm excited about next Sunday. And I want you to realize the value of the family of faith. Today, my son led worship in two services Faith Bible Chapel in Arvada, Colorado. This morning, my two daughters led worship here, took care of kids. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. Let me tell you something. It's not because Beverly and I are just wonderful people. It's because we raised our kids in the family of faith. They serve God. They serve one another. They serve you. It's because of the family of faith. Everybody love the Lord. Say amen. Woo, it's been a great day. I, hey, this, some of you, this is going to freak you out. But hey, it's okay to be freaked out in church. Everybody, come on. Lift your hands. Say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, everybody. Thank you, Jesus, for the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, for the word of God.
And everybody said amen. amen. Let's give the Lord, the resurrected Christ, some praise this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll be here next Sunday, so you be right back.